I'm Brooke Gurley, and you are listening to Untold Stories, the cases that shaped the civil rights movement, presented by Law and Crime. This podcast is the audio adaptation of my video series titled The Untold Stories of the Civil Rights Movement. And now, on to this week's episode. What's up, everyone? It's me, Brooke. Welcome back to The Untold Stories of the Civil Rights Movement, where each week I look at what I think are some of the most important civil rights cases or just important civil rights cases. Um, I break them down and I tell you why I think they're important. So this week we're doing something a little differently than bef- than we normally do. So normally, you know, I like to look at one particular case, get into the facts, because I love the facts, and discuss the issue there, the holding, the reasoning, and all of that, and give you my feedback on why I think it's important. Well, this week I want to look at a, a broader topic, which is the destruction of black communities at the beginning of the 20th century, the end of the um, 19th century, and then definitely during the 20th century. So we've all been hearing about, if you haven't already, um, uh, cities like Black Wall Street, which was in Tulsa, which was actually, Black Wall Street was founded by a relative of mine, O.W. Gurley. You have Rosewood, the destruction of Rosewood, you have communities in North Carolina, but just throughout the country, vibrant black communities that were destroyed oftentimes by violence but this week i want to look at two cities one was destroyed by violence on election night in 1920 and the other one was destroyed by legislative or legal action and that's what we will get into the case for this week so the first instance i want to get into is the black community that existed in ocoee florida ocoee florida is where i grew up and we moved here in 1996 but before then black people knew you don't go into Okoe. Like, you just don't. Black people do not go into Okoe. Um, but no one really knew why. And the root of that actually lies in what happened on election night in 1920. So in order to understand what happened election night 1920, you have to go back before then a little bit and look at some key players. You had a man named July Perry, who was a black farmer. And he would actually serve kind of as a mediator between the other black farmers and the white landowners. He would get money from that. Why people didn't like that because of what he was doing. He also worked with another gentleman named Mose Norman and they would get people registered to vote and then also encourage them to vote. Now you also had a lot of black people who um, owned land in Okoe during this time. And some of them were wealthier than the white people. And you had, as Zora Neale Hurston said when she was doing her research into it, that the white people were still upset about it since Reconstruction. And they were not happy. And so on election night, when you had July Perry really pushing people to vote, the Klan and some white paramilitary organizations from Orange County got together and came over to Okoe to get July Perry and try to get him and Mose Norman to surrender. They ended up coming to July Perry's house or going to July Perry's house. July Perry heard of it and kind of had his family escape. Um, But him and Mose Norman were there ready to face this, the terrorist organization. So they get there and there's a shootout happens and July Perry shooting them, he kills one of the white men, a, a prominent white man who appears with the Klan and the paramilitary group. They have a shootout. Somehow Mose Norman escapes. No one knows what happens to him. Some say that he was um, castrated and sort of tortured. Other people say that he escaped to the North and lived out his years there, but no one really knows for sure. He was never heard from again. July Perry, unfortunately, was lynched. One of those, like, they took souvenirs, if I'm not mistaken, from his lynching. 
But what also happened that night is you had the, again, the whites who were very upset at seeing black landowners who were wealthier than them. They burned down all the, the homes in the African-American community there um, and used it as an excuse. Even black people who weren't a, a part of what was going on, they burned down their homes, took their land, and even to this day you have some some of the descendants of the people who own the land there having the deeds but they can't capitalize off of it because it, been, it has been so long so okoe like i said a vibrant black community destroyed by violence after they tried to vote but really that was almost an excuse to do what they wanted to do all along which is to get payback from the reconstruction period the second case that i want to or instance i want to look at is actually was a black community. So Okoe happened, the massacre of Okoe happened in 1920 election night. And the city that I wanna talk about now is Goldsboro in Florida. Not too far from Okoe actually. In 1891, Goldsboro was founded as the second township founded in the country. The first one being Eatonville, Florida, which was not too far from Goldsboro. And Goldsboro was founded by William Clark and about 17 other African-Americans who could vote. And William Clark was a very prominent figure in this community. The main, they had a road, the main road was named after him. Um, they had all types of, of, of vibrant businesses there. You had the police, mayor, any part of life. You had well-to-do black people, and again, white people were not happy about this. They just didn't feel that black people should own or have this type of wealth. Um, and so what ended up happening is a very shady character, white gentleman by the name of Forrest Lake, who was also a politician and a banker, he wanted to expand the city of Sanford. So Goldsboro was next to the city of Sanford. And Sanford, if that sounds vaguely familiar, it's because that's the city where Trayvon Martin was murdered. And so Sanford was a separate city from Goldsboro, and Sanford wanted to expand out. And the way that Forest Lake decided he wanted to do that was to um, incorporate the city of Goldsboro into Sanford. But in order to do that, he needed to have the Florida legislature approve that because that's how you approve um, the charter of different towns. Somehow, Forest Lake manages to get the Florida legislature to do that. So what they do is they vote to abolish the charter of both charters of both Sanford and Goldsboro, and then immediately votes to reincorporate both uh, cities as one city known as Sanford. So somehow, Forest Lake managed to get the Florida legislature to do this, and probably because he was a shady guy. I mean, when I say he was a shady guy, he ended up going to prison for some time for fraud and actually ended up dying poor. Um, oh well. But um, they incorporated Goldsboro into the city of Sanford. So Goldsboro lost his charter, lost his designation, his distinction as a city. They went in and changed the name so William Clark Street became Lake Street after Forest Lake. They changed the names that had meaning to like First Street, Second Street, Third Street, and blah, blah, blah. And just completely sort of took away the power that Goldsboro had. Um, and how we get to the case here, because there is a case, like I said, how we get to the case in this instance is that when the city of Sanford subsumed Goldsboro in, into it. It owed debts to the people in Goldsboro and they agreed to pay it. They acknowledged the debt, they agreed to pay the debt. They kept saying they would pay the debt. Um, and that was in 1911 when all of this happened when Goldsboro was destroyed. So it was only in existence for 20 years, sadly. Um, but they owed debt 
to um, the city of Sanford owed debts to the former members or the members of what was formerly Goldsboro of the city. They promised to pay, they didn't pay, surprise, surprise. And then fast forward from 1911 to 1952, I want to say this case started, but eventually made its way all the way up to the Florida Supreme Court in 1953. And there they said, hey, look, we're old money. They haven't paid us, pay us. And so those are roughly the facts of that case. The issue, so I don't know if you recall when like the first um, episode I said, usually the, the cases have this format of fire, facts, issues, holding, reasoning. This case right here is a perfect example of when they don't. It's just like bare bones. If you can even call it a facts sec section, they have that. There's no clear indication or delineation of the issue, the holding, or the reasoning. So what you can deduce though, the reasoning or the issue is, you can deduce that the plaintiff said, hey, you owe us money, and the defendants argued you waited too long. Latches, the concept of latches, which means you can't just sit on a potential claim because it puts the defendant at a disadvantage in mounting a defense. And what happened is the court below said, yes, Latches applies, they dismiss the case, it gets appealed all the way up to the Florida Supreme Court. The Florida Supreme Court essentially has to at, um, answer the question of whether or not Latches prevents the plaintiffs from receiving payment or at least continuing on in this lawsuit trying to get the debts that are owed to them. Um, the holding there, again, this is something you have to deduce, is that yes, not deduce, but they don't clearly state it in the answer to, the, to that question or the holding here is yes. The reasoning the court didn't really spell out its reason it, it cited a case but i think the the concept of latches sort of speaks for itself in this instance where the court is saying hey you waited too long okay this happened in 1911 it's 1953 too much time has passed latches applies your case is dismissed um so that's what happened there and the people never got their city back and they never um, got the money that was owed to them. And so that's another instance of how uh, a vibrant black community was destroyed and that des destruction of that city affirmed by the courts. So why did I choose these two instances, sort of case studies, if you will, with Okoe and Goldsboro community? Well, Okoe is important in light of the elections and in light of what I was speaking about last week about how Historically, you see different states trying to keep black people from voting, whether that's through literacy tests, grandfather clauses, so through illegal means, or through just straight terrorism. And so in Okoe, you had black people trying to vote and they burned down their city. They took their land, land that could be in the property or in the hands of their descendants today that could get garner them wealth. So not only did you prevent them from voting and engaging in this democracy, you also prevented them from being able to accumulate wealth. And so I think it's important when we're talking about how do we deal with systemic racism currently, you know, you have to think about all these things. Like how do you make this person right? If someone is today, which is the case in Okoe, saying, hey, I still have the deed to the property that I don't currently own. What are you gonna do about it? You can't just say, I see you, I hear you, I understand. You have to make them right. Um, and then we also, again, have to be vigilant with voting because if they can't do it through legal means, they may just resort to terrorist 
means and just shut people out. It's not unheard of. I know people think we were beyond that, but sadly, I never think that those things aren't possible because when you let your guard down, then you're opening yourself up to those things. So it just reiterates the importance of voting. It reiterates this long history of trying to keep black people from voting and why we must remain vigilant on that issue. So why did I choose Goldsboro? Well, Goldsboro is important, I think, one, because I'm sure most of you have never even heard of the city of Goldsboro and what happened to it. But I also think it's important because here you have legal actions being taken to steal land from black people, from a black community and you have the courts sanctioning it. I think it highlights how the court system, this is again when we're talking about reform, how the court system is implicated in this systemic injustices that we see because it was the court system that could have said, uh, latches maybe not so much because of, you know, if they wanted to, it could have found a way to say no, given the context of how things evolved here, they didn't feel like they could go to the courts. But far too often the court system is there to maintain the status quo and, and often, or far too often at the cost of justice. And that was the case here. The court could have ruled a different way, but it chose not to. And it's sad because I think the problem that you saw with the Trayvon Martin case, because Trayvon Martin happened, was killed in the city of Sanford. And there was already this racial tension that was there. And that has its roots. Like the reason why Trayvon, part of the reason why Trayvon Martin's case had such an impact is rooted in this story of what happened in Goldsboro. And understand, in order to understand the Trayvon Martin case, you have to understand the history and the frustration that was there within the black community dating back to 1911 when it was completely taken from them by the Florida State Legislature and then affirmed by the Florida Supreme Court in 1953. So again, if we want to deal with these issues of racism, we have to be able to address the historical context in which they arise from. Otherwise, what are we doing? Now, if you would like to know more about this case or these two cities, I'm gonna leave some links for you to do some additional research, but I also have one book that'd be great that deals specifically with elections in Florida and how um, this sort of paramilitary terrorist action of white um, Floridians really hampered that. The, this book, Emancipation Betrayed, I feel like there's a lot of like betrayed mentioned in the title of these books. But this is a good book and it deals specifically with what happened in Okoe. Um, well, actually deals specifically what happened in Florida, but Okoe is mentioned in here. Goldsboro is not mentioned in here. If you like this video, please be sure to hit the like, the heart or whatever button it is below. Please be sure to follow me on Facebook at Palookie's World Productions. You can follow me on YouTube, Instagram, I'm on Twitter. Again, I'm on TikTok, but I just do silly stuff there. And of course, you can follow me at my website, palookiesworld.com. Please be sure to subscribe and you'll never miss a video or an article or whatever I post there. Thank you all so much for joining me this week. I hope you all learned something new, were encouraged, and that you're going to go out and vote. All right. Take care. God bless. To watch the video series that inspired this podcast, head over to my blog, palookiesworld.com, and make sure you subscribe. For more information on this series, like how do you spell Palookie, please check out the show notes. Finally, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you never miss an episode.